In 2005, I witnessed the greatest sports moment of my life. Uh, I don't know how old you were in 2005. Maybe some of you were five. Um, But nonetheless, I wasn't. Uh, And I witnessed one of, if not the greatest sports moment of my life. I was at game four of the National League Division Series at uh, Minute Maid Park. That's where the Astros play. And if you don't like baseball, I'll pray for you because you should. Um, But I'm at game four. So the Astros are up 2-1 in the series. It's best best three out of five. That's how that works, to go to the National League Championship Series. It goes NLDS, NLCS, World Series. That's how the progression goes. So they're in that first round, playing the Atlanta Braves. Uh, And it's a big deal, right? Because the Astros had never been to the World Series before. So it's like, oh my gosh, this could be the year. This this is great. So they're up 2-1 in the series. That's a big deal. They're... The game is going poorly. A baseball game is nine innings. It's in the eighth inning, and the other team, which is the Atlanta Braves, is up six to one in the eighth inning. So the Astros have one inning left to try to pull this off. Six to one. You think, okay, the death nail is in the coffin. This is over for you. This is done. Eighth inning, nine innings in a baseball game. Eighth inning, it's six to one Braves in game four of the NLDS. You think it's going to be over, and then... Lance Berkman comes up to bat. Nobody, you, these people, you don't have to know who that is, but if you do, great. But Lance Berkman comes up to bat, hits a grand slam. A grand slam is the bases are loaded, he hits a home run. So that means four run score. So now, if you're doing the math in your brain, it's six to five. Okay, you guys are doing great. You're following along. It's six to five now. It's six to five in the eighth inning. We're like, okay, so this, this is a thing. Like, okay, we don't completely stink. That's great. So it's six to five, no more run score in the eighth. We go into the ninth. The Braves do not score in the top of the ninth. It's now bottom of the ninth inning. One out goes down. Two outs go down. We are now down to our last out in game four of the National League Division Series. Down one run. Base is empty. This guy named Brad Osmus comes to the plate. His batting average was like something like 191, which is like, hey, bro, you're bad. He comes up to the plate, and he proceeds to hit the tying run and hits a home run, six to six, in the ninth. Bottom of the ninth, two outs, hits a home run, six to six. Great. The game will continue. And continue it did for nine more innings. It was an 18-inning baseball game that I was with with my father. You're thinking, why didn't you leave? Because it was unbelievable. 10th inning, 11th inning, 12th inning, 13th inning, 14th, 15th, 16th, 17th, the score stays 6-6. to It never changes. It never changes. Not one run scores. Top of the 18th, Braves up to bat, a run does not score. Bottom of the 18th inning, it is 6-6. to In game four of the National League Division Series, one out goes down. A guy named Chris Burke comes up to bat. He's a no-name kid. 18 innings have gone by. So this is a four-ish hour baseball game at this point. Like you could have taken a significant nap, woken up, and the game's still been on kind of thing. (laughs) He comes up to the plate and proceeds to hit a walk-off home run to left field. 
18 innings, game over, series over, Astros win the division, they're going to the NLCS. They then go on to the NLCS, win, and go to the World Series and choke. (laughs) But it was the most unbelievable environment of my life. It was as if when the home run happened, that man just woke up a sleeping giant because people in the crowd were just like, dear God, in the game. Just in the, I don't care who wins anymore. It's, this is a lot of innings. Let's just in the game. But it was unbelievable in that moment. Home run happens, and I have not, I have not in my life been a part of a sporting event where the stadium was that loud. It would have been every Astro fan in that stadium that was capable of standing was on their feet cheering to whatever capacity they could fathom to cheer to. That, that seems to make sense. That's the appropriate response to what had just happened. It would be strange if that home run happened, all the Astros fans stand to their feet and roar in cheers because they have just won the division, won the game, it is over, we are going on in the playoffs. It would be strange if everybody stands up and there's one Astro fan that's sitting there like, I don't really care, this is dumb. Because what that would prove is, you're not actually committed to this, are you? You don't actually care about this. It's, it's a... It's more of an inappropriate response to stay seated, to not respond. You see, the most appropriate response is shouting and cheering, high-fiving. Maybe we could call that praise. Now, why do I tell you that? Here's the deal. Because that's what worship is. Worship is an appropriate response to what has been done. To not respond in worship is strange given knowledge of what God has done for us in Christ. The appropriate response is worship. The appropriate response, what I'm specifically talking about tonight, is singing. And so it's not, it's not a matter of whether you think you're good at singing. It's not a matter of whether or not you like to do it. It's not. It doesn't matter. What it's about is, is this the appropriate response to the God of the universe and him sending his son to die for me? And the answer is yes. You see, for the last few weeks, we've been in this series called Fight. And the effort of this series is to look at the things in our life that fight for our affections And what are the enemies of our affections? And what are the things that we can put in our life to fight for affection for God? What are the things that we can do that just stir up love for God in us? And so we looked at reading the Bible that stirs up our affections, praying and stirs up our affections, rest as it stirs up our affections, and you guessed it, we will look at how does singing stir up our affection for God? And so we'll be in Psalm 96, I'll read 1 through 6, Psalm 96 verses 1 through 6. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his 
sanctuary. Jump back up to verse 1. The command that we get from the psalmist is this. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. In three lines of the psalm, you get three commands to sing to God. And now if you're here and you're not a follower of Christ, if you're here and you're checking this thing out, if you're like, I, I don't know about all this Jesus stuff, this is strange for you. What we just did probably seems weird. Why do you guys sing? Why do people lift their hands? Why do people clap? Well, the psalmist answers it, doesn't, doesn't he? Verse 3, tell his glory among the nations. So we sing because God is worthy of glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. Here's really why, verse 4, for great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. We respond with singing because of the greatness of God. Verse 5. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. We respond with singing to God because God is the, the only God that there is, and he is the creator of all things. Verse 6. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. So it is a fitting response to God to sing. If you're in here and a Christ follower and you don't understand why we're singing, the psalmist just answered it because God is worthy of all of our glory, all of our praise. He created all things. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. It is a fitting response to who God is. It's what we ought to do. Not if we prefer it, not if we think we're good at it, not if we like the song. But is God worthy of this or not? And so we sing. But the question that we've been asking over the past few weeks is this. How does singing stir up our affection for God? For this scenario, how does singing stir up our affection for God? The first thing is this. Singing reminds us of true things about God and about ourselves. When we sing, when we sing worship songs, it reminds us of true things about God and about ourselves. Look back at verse 4. For, this is why we're singing, for great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. When we sing about those things, we're reminded that God is great, that God is the creator, that God is full of splendor and majesty. We're reminded of those things as we sing. So we sing to remind ourselves because if we're just honest about our lives, we are really distracted people. And I'm not saying that school is bad or sports are bad or social media is necessarily bad or the relationships that you have are necessarily bad, but they can get to a place where they overshadow everything that you see and everything that you do such that you forget what is really important and you need to be reminded of it. And so when we come in here and we sing, it reminds us of true things about God and about ourselves. So how else does singing stir up our affection for God, it writes our perspective. When we sing, it writes our perspective. You can come into this room, and in fact, I'm willing to bet coming into this room, there are people who had the best day of their life, and there are people that had the worst day. And everywhere in between. And one of the things that singing does for us is it writes our perspective on all of that stuff. 
because it pulls our eyes up to the God who is reigning over your bad day, to the God who is good to you even in the midst of your bad day. When we sing, it lifts our eyes above our, our circumstance and gives us a different perspective that the Lord reigns and we will sing to him because he's worthy of it. How else does singing stir up our affection for God? The last thing is this, it gives us words to say when we don't have them. It gives us words to say when we don't have them. Because sometimes you find yourself so stirred up, so excited that you, you like, I, God, I am just like, I'm full of something and I don't know how to say that something, but I'm I, like, I just need, I need something because I got something in here and I don't know what to say. And you have songs that allow you to have words to that. Or maybe it's not that you're excited. Maybe you roll in and you're like, hey, God, I've got nothing for you today. Because of all that's going on, the chaos that I'm living in, I've got nothing for you today. And so you're going to have to give me something to say because I don't have it. And worship songs give us songs, give us words to say when we don't have them. To remind us of true things about God. To write our perspective. We sing those words even when we don't have them. So these worship songs we get to sing are a good gift of God's grace to us. Because they give us words. Now the last question that we've been asking in all of this is, okay, great. I believe that it stirs up our affections for God. I buy it, fine. But how do we do that? Really, I'm asking the question, how do we sing? And I'm not talking like on pitch or well. That, that's not it. Because that's irrelevant. When it comes to singing to God, that's not what we're talking about. So I'm not your choir teacher. I'm not any of that stuff. That's not what I'm after. I'm talking about like ha, ha, as, as followers of Christ in a, in a right good response to who God is, how do we sing? The first thing is this. We sing true things. We sing true things. Because here's the deal. We sing true things about God, but because what we sing, we form beliefs out of because we remember it easily. I heard a guy say it like this, nobody leaves church humming the sermon, but they will leave church humming the song. That's why roles like Patrick's and Roger's are so important. And that they carry the burden of these are songs that will get into the heads and the hearts of our people. And out of those songs, they will form thoughts about who God is as a result. You will form your beliefs about God based on some of the songs that we sing. In fact, some of you have thoughts about God that you have grabbed from songs, not even knowing that that's where you're grabbing them from. It's forming your theology as you sing. Because music is this tool for teaching and music is this tool for learning and it lodges in our brains and it sinks into our hearts and it forms what we think. So if that's the case, you know what ought to happen? You ought to sing true things. So you ought to be careful with songs. Don't just buy everything. It's okay for you to test it. Is this true? Let me read through the lyrics and ask, is this right based on what the scripture says? 
Is this true about God? Is this true about what he's accomplished? Is this true about who he says that I am in him? Those are right, good questions about singing. You see people do this in Acts 17. It's Acts 17, verse 10, the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now, those, now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. They received the word, they're like, yes, I think that's right. And you know what they did? They went to the scriptures and said, let me see if that's actually right. You should do the same thing with singing. You should do the same thing with the songs that we sing. Second thing, how do we sing? The second thing, you should sing loud. You should sing loud. Now, I don't mean that you should be obnoxious. I don't mean that you should be distracting. But if I could just go back to the illustration that I said at the beginning, everybody in that stadium was as loud as they could be. Why? Because that was the appropriate response in that moment. And you ought to sing loud. Not because you're trying to be impressive. Not because you want people to hear. Because that's the appropriate way to praise. In fact, the scriptures say it like this in Psalm 33, 1 through 3. Shout for joy to the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody with the harp of ten strings. Sing to the Lord a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. Psalm 47, 1. Clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. The scriptures actually command us, you ought to sing and you ought to sing loudly because it just is fitting for how worthy of praise God is. So we should sing true things. We should sing loud. And the third thing, we should sing with joy. We should sing with joy. That doesn't mean that you have to be happy. That doesn't mean you have to be like a smile on your face. You, read a psalm. Read, just read through four psalms and see if they're all the same mood. They won't be. You might come in off the worst day of your life, but you can still sing with joy because God is the same amidst your circumstance. So you have joy above your circumstance, whether you're happy or not. So you sing with joy. Psalm 98, 1 through 6 says it like this. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Verse 4, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous songs and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with a lyre, with a lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the king the Lord. We should sing with joy. Fourth, we should sing with the people of God. What you are doing in here right now, what we do on Sunday mornings as we gather with the people of God is a good thing that ought to stir up affection for God in you. I hope that sometimes you would find yourself stopping, closing your eyes, and just listening to the people of God sing. And it stir up faith, and it stir up love. So we should sing true things. We should sing loud. We should sing with joy. We should sing with the people of God. And the last thing is this. You should sing by yourself. I hope you find private moments to worship God. In your car, in the shower, in your room. I don't care. But you ought to. And you ought to go for it. You were made to do it. It's the right response to who God is. 
So the band's going to come back up here, and this is what's going to happen. We're going to get an opportunity to do that. We're going to sing because it's the appropriate response to who God is and what God has done for us through Christ in sending his son Jesus to be perfect where he demanded us to be perfect. And yet Jesus was perfect in our place, and so we did not have to be, and so he died in our place, so we did not have to, and he got up from the dead, declaring that he's the victorious one. Now to all who believe in his name will be saved and have life with God. We're responding to that, and the appropriate response is to sing. So if you're in here, and you're not a believer, if you're in here, and you're not a follower of Jesus, that's okay. I'm so glad that you're here. Hear me say this to you. The biggest question that you could answer today is, who do you say that Jesus is? The scriptures say that he's the son of God who died and rose from the dead. And if that's true, that changes everything. And we need to respond to it. And if you want to, come and ask me questions about it. Come and ask the leaders questions about it. Just ask them to help me understand who Jesus is. They'll answer that question. And if you're in here and you're a believer, my invitation to you is to sing. And if that's something that you're really comfortable with, I hope that you just find this to be really faith-stirring for you. And if you're here and you're like, I don't sing, man. I feel uncomfortable about it, or I just think that's whatever. It, it, this is not about you or your comfort level or whether you think it's cool or whether you like the song. This has everything to do with, is this the right response to who God is? So we ought to say.